Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus as we continue to make our way through the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Exodus 20, verse 16. It's a short one. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Listen to what God's word has to say. It says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So may God bless the reading of his word. While truth is a precious commodity, uh, Duke Reporters Lab found that in 2016, fact-checking websites increased by 50% from the previous year. And since then, fact-checking websites have increased 200%. Uh, These fact-checking organizations have proliferated all over the place. Why? Because there's a torrent of false information, even as we were listening to the prayer of confession and praying that together as a church. There There are all these organizations that are being built because of so much falsehood around us, whether that's election fraud claims or Russian disinformation about Ukraine or pseudoscientific assertions about the coronavirus. People are looking for the truth. They want the truth. Many of these sites use a sliding scale to measure the degree of truth. So you might have something like PolitiFact's Truthometer, which uses a scaling, scale range from true at one extreme to mostly true and then At the very bottom is liar, liar, pants on fire. But it's not just the politicians, right? We know, as we look into the news or elsewhere, we know that doctors lie. We know that engineers lie. We know that preachers lie. Truth is truly a commodity. Yet the reality is that lies have always been the hallmark of humanity since the time of Eden. Lying isn't some recent cultural phenomenon. If you know your Bible, the fall with Adam and Eve began with a lie. And then Adam and Eve lied. And all their offspring that followed lied. From Abraham to David to Ananias and Sapphira, liars. In fact, did you know that you don't ever have to teach a lesson to your children to lie. They just somehow learn to do it. Why? Because we're all born liars. The question is, isn't if we are guilty of lying, we all know that we are, or we have been. The question is if we've become all too accustomed and comfortable with lying. As a church, we've been making our way through these Ten Commandments, and this morning we come to the ninth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And of all the commandments, nearly everyone condemns lying. Whether you're a Christian, or you're an atheist, or you're an agnostic, you condemn lying. And yet all of us do it. But what I want to do for us this morning is to understand the biblical and Christian foundations of lying and truth-telling. 
for us to see that Christians have compelling and, in fact, dynamic reasons to tell the truth. Tell the truth. Three reasons to tell the truth. First, you tell the truth, Christian, because you've been redeemed. You tell the truth because you've been redeemed. Now, notice the ninth commandment doesn't actually say, do not lie. It says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the language here and the context here is that of a courtroom. It's a commandment governing legal testimony that a witness gives in a public trial before a jury. So it's why when you go into a courtroom today, you're to put your hand on the Bible and say, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? Because that's from the Bible. And trustworthy witnesses were particularly essential in Israel's time, in their legal system, because a person's life could depend on your testimony. A person's life could depend whether or not you bore faithful witness. These were the days when there was nothing else to validate the truth. There's no such thing as audio recordings or videos or DNA fingerprinting or anything like that. Your word mattered. Yet while there is a narrow application of the law to the courtroom, as we've seen throughout the Ten Commandments, there's also a very expansive application. Remember that in each commandment, we are given the most extreme form of any particular sin. So, for example, murder is the worst way of expressing anger in your heart. Or adultery is the most destructive of sexual sins. So it is with the ninth commandment. The worst thing you could do is to bear false witness in a court so that the person who is under trial, who may be an innocent man, is executed for their crimes or alleged crimes. So this commandment is much more applicable than the courtroom. It calls God's people to be honest with their words and actions. It's a call to verbal integrity, to rightly speak and to rightly represent our neighbors even. Why? Why is truth-telling so important? Is it just simply an evolutionary adaptation that we've been given? Is it, do we tell the truth just simply because that's what we're supposed to do? Well, the Bible gives us a better answer. Christian, you tell the truth because you've been redeemed. Remember the context of the Ten Commandments. Israel is already God's people. These commands aren't about law-keeping in order to find favor with God. They have already been redeemed. And God calls them to be the people who they already are, a redeemed people of the truth a people of truth. And church, that is who you are. You are redeemed by the truth that is in Jesus, and therefore you are to be truthy kind of people. Paul makes this clear for us in the book of Ephesians. So if you turn with me to Ephesians 4, chapter 20, that's in your New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Look there in the text with me. In Ephesians 4.20, it talks about the way that you learned Christ. And it says, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Paul is saying your life before salvation was that of futility, darkness, always exchanging the truth for a lie. But when God broke into your hardened hearts, you were taught truth. Truth that is in Jesus. And so what do you do now? You, you put off the filthy garments of falsehood and deceit, and you are putting on garments of truth and righteousness. The old deceit has passed, and the new truth has come, and therefore, therefore you speak the truth. You are truthy people. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, do you see that Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts? I mean, you might be thinking, Ten Commandments, that is a list of do's and don'ts. And don't be angry, forgive, don't, be, don't, don't lust, be thankful, don't steal, be generous. And these are Christian morals and ethics, but Christians don't do these things out of external pressures or because they're supposed to, or out of selfish interest. Holiness isn't mere rule-keeping some generic spirituality or an effort to heal ourselves. Christianity isn't, here's the Ten Commandments, you keep them, and you'll be a good boy. No, that's morality, and that's every single religion in this world. Christians are truthy people. Why? Because it flows from inner impulses of being redeemed by a gracious and true God. It comes from being created after the likeness of God. So it's, the Christian ethics aren't shells of behavior. They're inner impulses from the heart. And the reality is that many of us here this morning are, by the probably standards of this world, pretty morally, ethically good people. I mean, I expect all of you that you're paying your taxes truthfully. <laughs> or when you get a parking ticket, you pay them, right? Or you don't skip school or whatever it might be. But that means nothing to God if it doesn't spring from faith in Jesus. So don't walk away from the sermon this morning thinking that God simply wants you to stop lying, to reform the words that come out of your mouth. No, he desires for you to have a transformation of the heart through Jesus. Jesus came into the world to bear the judgment of God against the sin of our tongues, of our malice and our lies. He died and it was the subject of lies. But he remained silent and he died that you might be given a new heart. He rose again that you might be given a new heart. But you must come before God like the, prophet, like the prophet Isaiah and be willing to confess, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I am, I am under the wrath of God. And then turn and trust in the work of Christ on your behalf so that you might become a person of truth.
Christians tell the truth because they've been redeemed. And second, Christians tell the truth because truth is from God. Christians tell the truth because truth is from God. Now, throughout the Bible, truth finds its source in the nature of God himself. There is this consistent testimony of Scripture. Numbers 23, God is not man that he should lie. Romans 3, 4, let God be true and everyone a liar. The Holy Spirit in 1 John 4, 6 is called the Spirit of truth. And Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If there is one thing God cannot do, God can never lie. God is essential, everlasting, eternal truth. And to be a Christian means we've been brought into fellowship with a true God. And if what it means to be God is to be true, then it is equally true to say that the nature of the devil is to lie. And be a liar. This is the very, very essence and nature of his being. In, first, in John eight forty four, Jesus says of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So you remember that the lie began in the garden, in the garden of Eden. And the first, the devil questioned the truthfulness of God's word. And he would say, did God really say, can you really know what God is speaking and what he's saying? And then he goes out to a blatant lie and says, oh, you will not surely die if you eat of this fruit. You will be like God. And ever since then, humanity has been plunged into a world of falsehood. Satan is the father of lies, and humanity has followed in his course ever since. And so we struggle to be people of the truth. It's not that we find truth occasionally uh, inconvenient, and we slip into deception once in a while. No, our inability to be people of the truth runs deep. Jesus gives us the full diagnosis in Matthew 12, 34, which says, How can you speak good when you are evil? Because out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. But Christian, you are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. You've been redeemed. You reflect the character of God, so you must speak true words. You take great pains to say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Church, let's be careful with our words, not treat them casually and carelessly. I hope that none of us are the types of people who would say, I'm going to make a wedding vow, and I'm going to say these things before God and these witnesses, and you know what? When things get hard, maybe I won't keep what I said. Maybe I won't keep my promises. Or maybe we're not, the, I hope we're not the types of people that we come into a church and we sign off on a church covenant and we recite a church covenant about how we promise to meet together regularly and often so that we can build one, one another up in love and good deeds and then we just don't show up. Let's be the type of people that wouldn't dream of fudging our resumes. We should be the types of parents that don't go around telling our children that Santa is real. I mean, these children expect you, parents, to tell the truth to them. That's what they're expecting from you. So don't go telling them 
that there's some omniscient being, all-knowing Santa, who knows whether you've been naughty or nice, so you better be good for goodness sake and have works righteousness. It's the nature of the devil to lie. Not just bold-faced lies, it's subtlety. It's this misleading statements. We have a way of just judoing our way through our words, don't we? We just half-truths, twisting, and then misrepresenting. And that, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like the devil. Truth is from God and should pour forth from those who are created in his likeness. So, of course, some of you might be wondering, is a lie ever justified? Can me, if I have been redeemed, is it possible for me who fears the Lord and walks by faith, can I ever intentionally lie? Now, we've talked about this, I think, nearly two years ago when we were in Exodus 1 uh, with, uh, with the Hebrew midwives. So I'm not going to rehash all of that. You just have to go back and re-listen. Uh, but there is a category called the lie of necessity. This is where you, might lie, where you might lie or be deceptive because the other person doesn't expect the truth from you or doesn't deserve the truth. So, for example, if, the war break, if a war breaks out and an enemy says, uh, where are all the areas in which you're spying on us? You don't say, well, I'm going to go ahead and leak all this classified information. There are biblical examples like Rahab hiding the spies or Hushai who spied for King David during Absalom's rebellion. There are historical examples of Jews, of, of, of people uh, hiding Jews during World War II. And I love the story of Athanasius in Christian history. Do you know this story? Uh, people were trying to hunt down Athanasius, and uh, they didn't know what he looked like. And they actually approached Athanasius and said, hey, have you seen this Athanasius guy? And he said, he is not far from you. I was like, hmm, that's a good one. But I think it's important to note that not all of the examples, I, I, that, that of all the examples that I'm pro- providing, that it is under extreme duress. It's in situations of war. It's in situations of, uh, of persecution. They're not found in contexts where full truths are expected or deserved. So the overall tenor of Scripture is an overwhelming condemnation of falsehood and lying. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Revelation 21.8, the cowardly, faithful, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Revelation 21.27, nothing unclean will enter God's kingdom, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. So we're not playing games here. We don't play games with lying as if it's a matter of indifference to God. No, there is a connection that God makes between the practice of lying and the condition of the heart. And God says heaven and hell are at stake about what kind of person you are. Beloved, let us be true people because God is true. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Every word that comes out of our our mouths should be unequivocally true so that we should be the types of people where we are the worst at playing the game mafia. We should be really bad at that game. We should be people who, we shouldn't be the types of people that, you know, comes up to, to me after the sermon and say, 
great sermon, Pastor Steve, when it wasn't a great sermon. You don't have to tell me that. Now, of course, there is, this isn't licensed to say anything and everything on your mind. You don't have to say, Pastor Steve, it was really boring, one of the crummiest sermons you've ever preached, and I fell asleep in the middle of it. You don't have to say all that. And let's speak the word, and let's speak in a way that builds up and fit, that's fit for the occasion. Let's give grace. Let's speak the truth in love. But you know, maybe something like, I couldn't keep up with the sermon. Uh, I'll listen to it again on the podcast and we'll talk again or something like that. But Redeemer, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is really a countercultural act. In imitation of the God who does not lie, we should be people with a truthful word. Well, third and finally, tell the truth because you love your neighbor. Tell the truth because you love your neighbor. In Exodus 20, it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. There is this, this is the whole idea of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? As we've been going through it. It's about loving God and loving our neighbor. And so when the Westminster Larger Catechism speaks of the requirements of the Ninth Commandment, it says things like this. The duties required are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor, a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, a ready receiving of a good report and an unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them. That's really good. That's really good. There's a lot more that can be said there, but as we are finishing up this morning, let me give you three specific areas we must consider when it comes to loving our neighbor and the ninth commandment. Three specific areas. First, the ninth commandment forbids us from gossip or slander. What is gossip? Gossip is passing along a report or rumor which is not substantiated. But gossip is more than that. We also gossip when we pass along a true report unnecessarily. So uh, my children, uh, when they were growing up in preschool, and I guess they're still, some are still in preschool, and, but elementary school, we tell, there's this acronym called THINK. Some of you know it, and some of you are nodding your heads. It's it's what you, you're supposed to think before you speak. The T is for true. Is it true? The H is for, is it helpful? I is kind of a, a weird one. It's called, is it inspiring? Okay. N is, is it necessary? And K is, is it kind? Sometimes when it comes to gossip, it might be true. But it's not necessary, certainly not inspiring, and definitely not kind. Of course, there are gray areas about how much to share. I mean, I face this question all the time as a pastor. I, I always wonder if I, when I hear something, how much do I share with my wife? And sometimes I wonder how much do I share with all our elders? You might have similar areas of discretion. But before you speak, you need to ask yourself, would the person I'm about to talk about be happy 
for me to pass along this information. You see, sometimes we're just hanging out with friends. We're catching up. But we don't end up sharing about us. Somehow we just, the conversation devolves and we start sharing about other people. And it's easy to make an intimate relational connection over secrets. People love secrets, especially juicy and bad ones. So you begin talking about people, you share about another person's struggles. We start talking about this person or that deacon. Or that small group leader. Or that, fa- that family's kids. Proverbs 18.8. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. Of course there's room to seek out counsel. As to how to best love others. Maybe you're sharing it with somebody because you're trying to develop a plan about how you will approach them or speak with them. But sometimes we're just speaking into the ether, into the air, and there's no way we're going to be able to grab back those words. So when in doubt, I say, let's keep the circle as small as possible. And what's more, it's wrong to listen to gossip. Puritan Thomas Watson writes, He that raises a slander carries the devil in his tongue, and he that receives it carries the devil in his ear. I think that's right. Whenever we listen to gossip, we become implicated in the sin. And the problem is that we love to hear gossip, don't we? We just love it. It's those tasty morsels. It's late at night and we're over at a friend's house and then this topic gets brought up. And then we start talking about this and that. And all of a sudden, we need to have that spirit-filled gumption to be able to say, I don't think we should be talking about this right now. Or is it okay, maybe, maybe say it in a nicer way, is it okay for us to be continuing on with this conversation? Like, where's it headed? Are we making a plan? Because silence in the face of gossip is as sinful as the gossip itself. Second, the ninth commandment forbids flattery. While gossip is saying something, behind a person's back that you would never say to their face, flattery is saying something to their face, but you would never say behind their back. Again, this isn't saying that you can't encourage someone. This isn't saying that you can't compliment someone. But sinful flattery is when we offer it to, con- we offer it to control the other person. It is manipulation sometimes masked as praise. We use it to either create some kind of trust or to secure some kind of favor. Proverbs 26, 20 says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. We do well to offer genuine encouragement and praise to one another. Indeed, I think we are charged to do so, and we need to do a better job of that. But our edifying words must be truthful and accurate. So who do you know that you've ever overpraised? Maybe it's your boss. You know, who do you know that you've kind of told them, hey, man, you're awesome sauce, but really it's because you want them to like you a little bit better. I remember growing up, I would hear my parents compliment their friend's child, and they would say, oh, your child is so amazing. They're so good at music and so talented and such a good student. 
But they were waiting for the parent to respond and say, no, my child, not at all. Your son is the concert master and he's going to go to Princeton. You see, flattery can be about garnering approval for yourself. It's not about your neighbor. And when we overpraise, we do not love our neighbors. We are either tempting them to pride or manipulating them for our own purposes. Flattery is a terrible burden. When you tell your child that they are amazing at everything, when they're just average, you set them up for a lifetime of struggle. Now, okay, I'm not saying to be constantly critical. That's not where I'm going with this. Don't tear down their confidence. That's not what this is about. Certainly praise the things. Praise the things that are genuinely praiseworthy and be lavish about it. But praise rightly offered to someone will inspire humility. And truthful praise offered in genuine encouragement fulfills the ninth commandment. Third and finally, the ninth commandment calls on us to protect our neighbor's reputation. So, no gossiping, no flattering, positively, let's protect our neighbor's reputation. This is a huge challenge for us because these days it seems like we are spring-loaded to believe the worst about other people. Uh, We want to attribute the worst possible motives for other people's intentions rather than going the way of love, and I'm guilty of this too. The way of love is patient and kind. It believes all things, meaning the good things. It thinks the best of others. It hopes all things. In our day of social media and trial by Twitter, the outcome is predictable. An allegation is made about a person. This it could be a politician, a police officer, a black man, a white man, whatever it might be. It might be about a pastor. It might be about a church. Sometimes the charge seems credible. Other times it feels like speculation. Either way, something is put out and a report is released and then the trial begins and people immediately want to ask, what do you think about this? Are you going to say something? Will you be silent in the midst of these allegations? And then there's this pressure, isn't there? to say something, to jump on the bandwagon. And if you don't, you're going to be either accused that you don't believe the victim or you don't care about justice. And it's hard. It takes a lot of wisdom here. It's hard because if the allegations are true, it's... These are horrendous events. They're terrible and they're tragic. But if they're false or misleading, then it's already over. It's too late because we started or we've already reshared. We've already retweeted or whatever it might be. A reporter can tweet something negative about a a noteworthy politician. And there's going to be 4,000 retweets. And then they're like, ooh, I I made an error. I'm sorry. I did it wrong. And then only 350 retweets. Right? But it's too late. The reputation is already ruined. Calvin writes, for if a good name is more precious than all riches, we harm a man more by despoiling him of the integrity of his name than by taking away his possessions. In other words, it's much easier to recover if you lose a car 
You lose your bank account than if you lose your reputation. It's hard sometimes to do the unpopular thing to say, hold on. I know things look bad, but can we wait? Because Proverbs 18.17 says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Somehow we just light in Schadenfreude, right? Our ears seem to itch to hear somebody else is going down. Calvin writes, we seem to delight in a certain poison sweetness experienced in ferreting out and in disclosing the evils of others. And let us not think it is an adequate excuse if in many instances we are not lying. For he who does not allow a brother's name to be sullied by falsehood also wishes it to be kept unblemished as far as truth permits. Church, let's heed the ninth commandment. And love our neighbors as we would want to be loved. Let us protect our neighbor's name. Yes, let us even protect our enemy's name as far as truth permits. Lying is part of the corrupt old nature. It finds its roots from the deceit of Satan. The devil loves twisting words. The devil loves words of flattery. But that is not who you are. So let's not let the devil take a hold in our church. Beloved, we are the ones committed to sharing the message of Jesus. What kind of witnesses will we be to one another and to this world if we allow falsehood to enter into our midst? Let us be true representatives of what God has done in the hearts of the people where there is no place for anything but the truth. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for once again an opportunity to discover more from your word and to allow your word to speak to us. We understand that the application of some of these commandments take great wisdom, uh, boldness in many different directions. Sometimes boldness just to say something instead of remaining quiet. Sometimes boldness to stop the conversation when it shouldn't continue on. And so, Lord, we ask for a spirit of wisdom. We ask for wisdom to come upon us to know how to navigate, to know how to how, have our hearts changed, that our tongues may be under the spirit's control to speak rightly, to speak truly. Lord, may your truth continue to prevail. May your truth continue to have and work its way into our hearts that we might be more and more truthy people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.